it's really impressive. You know, I've never been on a team that's, you know, had this much depth and, you know, guys have stepped in for, you know, obviously big time all-star players and, you know, have done really well. Flip, that's Luke Voigt talking about the Yankees' incredible depth, which has obviously been well-documented up to this point. I want to get into that. I also want to get into Paul O'Neill, who will be our guest later in this podcast. But before we do that, please entertain me. Okay. Okay, I'm going to list some people. Stop me when you know what I'm talking about. Okay, stop. You know what I'm talking about? No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I do with uh, it. Good. Okay. George yeah. Steinbrenner, uh-huh. David Stern, Howard Cosell, uh-huh. Bob Costas, uh, okay. Dick Vitale, Dick Ebersol, uh-huh. John Madden, yeah. Sean McManus, you know where I'm going. I think so. Al Michaels, you, you're just too modest to stop me, right? <laughs> I wonder who else is on the list, but good. No, I'm the, okay. <laughs> I, I think I have an idea. Yeah, I think I yeah, yeah. So like, I'll do it because I know you're too modest to do uh, it, and everybody – so they know listening we've had a, a production meeting prior to this call and this was not brought up i'm just doing it on my own flip has been inducted into the sports broadcasting hall of fame congratulations flip oh thank you i appreciate that um, yeah it's quite an honor but um, i think it says if you're around like 50 years in a the business they give you an award so <laughs> what it stop is. no Jeff- listen to these names are you kidding me uh bill webb a buddy of yours right oh, leslie visitor yeah. Robin Roberts, Joey Chavo, you're with some amazing company and it's well-deserved. Thank you. I appreciate that. We so, well, Paul Neal. Oh. Look at you. You're so modest. You will not take the congratulations. <laughs> I'm not all that modest, but uh, this is this is overwhelming. So, but thank okay. you. We'll move it. on. Let me first say it's an yeah. honor to work with you, to work alongside you, to learn from you, and to be your co-host. So, I won't I won't do this any longer. I'll move on. I know you don't want to talk about this. No, um Let's talk about the Yankees. Let's yeah. talk about depth. Uh, they yeah. just swept the Red Sox. I think a yeah. lot of it has to do with the depth. What do you think? Well, that's certainly a contributing factor. I mean, one of the strengths of the team is that they have they have sort of depth, you know, everywhere. I mean, if it was one one place that we we sort of said the, it was, was had a slot out yet would be the starting pitching because I mean you got obviously you got Cole, you know, Cole is uh, he, he is uh, either the best pitcher in the game or one of the top two or three. So uh, you go, uh, but after that, it was questions of, you know, how quickly that rotation could find form. I mean, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Paxton has to, you know, come around and he showed obviously some glimpses of that. You know, he's kind of been sort of, a, you know, back and forth on, on the coming around things, but I know he should get there. And, and uh, you know, Tanaka, you know, coming back from what he had to come back from, the, the, the concussion situation with the ball hitting in the, in the head and, in, in that scenario and you know so he's had to sort of come around and you had to see what what Montgomery could give you and now he's starting to come around so you know the Yankees have have the you know after Cole it's a question of that slotting but other than that part of the game I mean, we talk about the bullpen the bullpen is as good a bullpen as I may have ever seen and when you're getting Chapman back so that'll speak that'll take depth and even make it even stronger and then you look at the position players that the Yankees have that offensive lineup it's like 
I, that that's talk about murderers row. How about murderers nine? How about and then having I could go murderers twelve. You got guys on the bench who, you know, who were, were seeing time. Whether it was Anduhar was you know, seeing time on the bench, and Frazier was spending time on the bench, and Ford was spending time on the bench, and we talked about like a week, last time we did the, our, our last podcast, we talked about the Yankees have so much depth that those three guys we mentioned, Frazier, who wasn't up at the time and now isn't, is really banging the ball. So we talked about Frazier, we talked about Anduhar, and we talked about Ford and said, I mean, what team, how many teams in baseball could take, could use those three in the middle of their heart of their order and would be well served by those three? And the reality is that at least half the teams in baseball would be better off having those three and those three were Yankee, were Yankee spare parts. I hate to diminish it, but they've actually played the role of spare parts. So it just tells you how deep the team really is when you could have those players. And then, then you look at the way Ashilla has played you know, for, you know, for the team and, and, uh, you know, and, and there've been players who've been out like judge and Stanton and, and again, that depth, how that depth is so filled in so admirably for them. And, and uh, the Yankees just do not have, they just don't have holes. They have a couple of starting pitching things that need to be worked out. Other than that, this is as deep and as good a baseball team as there is in the game. They take four straight from the Red Sox, as we discussed that brings them to 10 and 0 at home, which is fascinating to me, Flip, because prior to this season, people were talking about how there would be no such thing as a home field advantage. This 10 and 0 record begs to differ, right? No, no doubt, no question. I mean, if you, if listen, you play 10 games at home and you you win seven of 10, that's extraordinary. You have 700 record at home. That's that's great. 800 is amazing. 900 is astounding. 10 and 10 and 0 is is that's that's an incredible start. It just really is. And again, it's it gets it speaks to their depth, but also there is familiarity in playing at home. I mean, you you know you're sleeping you're sleeping in your own bed. Uh, which you know accounts for a lot. You're playing in the park that you know the you know the best, which is your own your own you know home ballpark. So playing your own home park, not having to you know having the rigors of you know uh, of, of the road, the travel that's on the road, even getting to and from the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. All that part that's everything you do on the road means you're not you're not at home. You're taken out of your your comfort level, your comfort factor. The fact is, when you play at home, there is a great comfort factor in playing at home. Like I said, you you're on your own schedule, you're on a schedule that's different, a schedule that suits you. You, you know, you're driving to the ballpark, you're on a buses, going back and forth to the stadiums. You've, you know, you've got so many things in your and you know the park. So put those factors together. Yeah, that's it's it, it does lend itself. The home field advantage for sure is a home field advantage. They always talk about if you could play, you know, if you could play, you know. Uh, you know, 600, 650 ball even on, on, at home, uh, 700 is awesome. Way 700 would be great, but and play 500 on the road, you, you're going to go really far in a season. You know who else isn't contending with uh, the rigors of the road? Mm-mm. One Paul O'Neill. Oh, yeah. You mean like uh, he's not in a booth? You mean he's like in his basement? <laughs> is that where we go with this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. called a segue in the business. What do you think? It's a good segue. I like the fact Paul, Paul in the basement. I like that. Uh, the dungeon. There you go, Paulie. So, without further ado, what do you say, Kevin? We go to, we go to Paul. Yes, let's let's do it. Well, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. How can we go to Paul? We didn't tell anybody to rate, review, or subscribe. Oh. Do we tell them enough? We don't tell them that enough. Do Not we? nearly enough. I know. Folks, would you rate, review, and subscribe, please, if you like us, so we can uh, continue this endeavor. And uh, so far, you are you are doing what we ask, and that is rate, review, and subscribe, because it does help us a lot. So please do that, and we will forever be in your debt. I mean, Kevin more than myself, because you know I'm, 
like Hall of Famer, as he said. So I was, <laughs> <laughs> he said it at the time, oh, God. All right, but we appreciate it. Rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you very much. Is it time now? Do we go now? Yeah, let's go to Paul now. Here we go, Paulie. Welcome back to Curtain Call. John Filippelli, Kevin Sullivan. Our very special guest at this time is someone known to uh, us affectionately, all of us in Yankee land, as the Warrior. Uh, he's at five world championships to his credit for the Yankees, one with the Cincinnati Reds, also won a batting title. And uh, as the Yankees were building toward uh, those championship teams and putting them together, one of the first major pieces uh, that they acquired was Paul O'Neill, and they got that. They made that deal stick. Michael made it in November of 1992. While Paul was cutting the grass, he found out he became a New York Yankee. So uh, on that kind of introduction, here we go, Paul. How are you? Thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Kevin and I are are, uh, are doing all right. We're uh, you know, we're uh, we're hanging in there. We're battling, and we are uh, ready to persevere as we do our, our favorite thing in life, which is this podcast. So we really enjoy it, and we thank you for uh, being part of this. So I'm going to start with this. Uh, when uh, George Steinbrenner and I were talking about uh, the formation of Yes, and we were talking about people that we'd want to see in a booth or have in a booth, um, I suggested to him, uh, I brought up two names to him. I brought up several, but actually two for a particular analytical role. And I said, I, I would love to have David Cohn be part of this and also Paul O'Neill. And he looked at me and he said, Paul, is this the same Paul O'Neill? We talk about the same guy? And I said, uh, uh, yeah, I assume Paul O'Neill. Uh, he says to me, he goes, oh, man, terrific player. You really think he'd be a broadcaster? I said, I think he'd be a broadcaster. And I said, well, what happens if it doesn't work? I said, then we try somebody else. And we, we, we laughed hilariously. And, we, and for George, that was something to uh, behold. And uh, we moved on from there. But I will tell you, all these years later, uh, that worked out pretty well, I would say. You, uh, you are now an influence in the booth. Well, uh, I mean, uh, now that I hear the story, I, I guess I have to thank you. I, I mean, I, I thank you for all you've taught me over the years, but uh, to get me introduced in this. And I'll still remember the first day I came in to meet you in Stanford. Uh, you told me, let's come in, let's talk about this. Uh, I came in not dressed to go on stage, but uh, you said, you know what, we've talked long enough. Why don't you just go out on the on the, on the set and do it. And I remember doing the first night, I didn't know what the red lights were going off. I didn't know what in the world was going off, but that was my start of yes. And uh, what well, tell you, it seems like a hundred years ago, but it's been a fun ride so far. Where were you when you first heard about yes? Just a curiosity. Uh, when you first heard that, that George Steinbrenner was thinking about starting his own network, where were you when you were? I remember you calling me and I was actually uh, upstairs uh, in the house and uh, sat down and talked to you. Uh, I had known you over my career and met you a few times and, um, uh, you know, I had a conversation with you and you brought up television and, and possibly getting into it. And, you know, it kind of rang a bell of like, you know, that, that might be fun. Let's see what happens. And at the time you remember, I started with like 10 appearances a year and I've kind of graduated a little bit since then, but uh, that was a, my first taste of it. And I still remember sitting up there and talking to you on the phone, you know, kind of mulling over the idea of uh, do I want to get into television and, you know, when it's with the Yankees, obviously it uh, it makes it much more appealing. You know, it's funny when when I think of you, I think of I mean in no particular order. I think of the catch uh, in in Game Five of the '96 series, uh, Luis Polonia that uh, saved the game for the Yankees. I think of the slide uh, in the division series against the Indians 
the, the second base where you had to get to second base. You had to get in scoring position. And, you know, and you, this was you personified. I mean, you gave every ounce that you had. You left it all on the field. And, you know, it was an awkward slide because it was such a, a hard play to get to second base. And yet you got there. And uh, that, to me, spoke volumes about why you were the warrior. That was the second thing. The third thing to me was the uh, obviously the chance, the World Series, uh, the chance uh, about warrior, warrior, you know, Paul O'Neill, Paul O'Neill, Paul O'Neill. And last but not least was the kicking of the ball in right field to Todd Benziger when you were ran over to first base. And those are the things that constantly just sort of go, go through my mind of uh, if I said to you, give me one special memory. Uh, I mentioned a few of my own, but you must have your own. What is your favorite memory as a player? Well, I think you look back at every year and especially the championships and, um, you know, you can remember the uh, just how rewarding you feel by winning a World Series. So every World Series had those special things. Uh, you know, I remember jumping over the pile in 1996 and 98, the relief of, of you know, making the season uh you know, means something, having that many wins, 125 and 50, uh, best team that I was ever part of, no doubt. 2000, I remember how probably as much fun as I've ever played, uh, had playing baseball, being in the city of New York, jumping on a bus like you did in high school and driving over to Shea Stadium with the stories of Mr. Steinbrenner in the locker room. And, and so those are some of my fondest memories. And then obviously you brought up that chant and the more I think about that, uh, nowhere else in the world does that happen other than New York. And uh, that's the one that uh, obviously it was weird at the time because we're losing a World Series game. But at the end of the day, at the end of the night, we had come back to one of the most fun wins I've ever been a part of. There's three games in 2001 at home. Um, there are just so many memories, but uh, great times. At the risk of skipping a few decades, Paul, uh, I want to fast forward to 2020. Flip mentioned that you are an uh, influence in the booth. Actually, today, nowadays, you're an influence in your basement. What's been the biggest, I guess, adjustment to calling games from your basement as opposed to the booth? Well, you know, first of all, going into it, you don't know what to expect. I mean, uh, you know, I, we've talked about how you know long you've been in this, but we've never done it the way we're doing it now. And baseball's never been the way it is now. I mean, 2020 is its own animal, but uh, uh, you know, the first couple games, you, you, you almost feel bad because you're talking over each other because there's delays, but uh, you know, as it's gone on, uh, we've had a lot of fun. I, I think obviously uh, the product's been unbelievable. The Yankees are playing tremendous baseball. That always helps when you're an announcer for a team that's uh, doing well. And, you know, it's, it, it's an adjustment, but uh, we're doing the best we can with it. And uh, at this point, it, it's become fun because, uh, you know, we've kind of wrapped our hands around with what we can do with Michael in a booth, David in a booth, and me in a basement. So uh, we, we try to make it work. You should know that uh, your FaceTime call with Jorge Posada was among our most highly engaged piece of social media content all year. So I'm going to recommend flip. Can I recommend we have that be a regular segment? <laughs> After better, whose face is this? I better look, uh, I better look through my FaceTime there, my, my, my Rolodex here and see how many people I can call. So uh, it, that would just, you know, those kind of things just happen and they happen so quick. I, I, I guess when we went to commercial, I said, I'm going to call Jorge. And I was just happy that he did answer. And uh, he did answer our question. He was 50 years old and not 49. Mystery solved. 
Yes. So, uh, like you said, the production's been great. We're doing the best we can with what we have, and, and it's come out amazing. But I want to know, as an ex-player, what do you think, from a player's standpoint, is it hard to get the adrenaline going for games like this, you think? Well, I mean, it's, it's much different watching it on a monitor. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's like watching it as a fan, and there is a slight delay. But, uh, you know, you don't get the pulse of the game, obviously, not being at the stadium. But, uh, you know, you learn to, to appreciate other things uh, that you see on the monitor that you wouldn't really see from the booth. Uh, but going back, when you're in the booth, you can see things that are happening away from the play and, and talk about things that players are doing because you have that broad, broad view from the booth. So, uh, uh, you know, that, that's the different part of it is you call from what you're seeing on television and sometimes, obviously, that's a one-camera angle, which can be limiting. But, uh, again, it, it makes you appreciate um, how much goes into these. And uh, it's made it so easy uh, to do it with Michael and Coney, who, uh, you know, I, I consider true friends. Well, it, it's interesting because uh, let's, let's backtrack just a little bit. We started, we started talking about George Steinbrenner in the beginning of this interview, and I have to ask you, you know, you played, you were obviously played for George Steinbrenner for many years. You were part, an integral part of the, the four championship teams uh, for 96, 98, 99, 2000. And obviously and a Yankee since, uh, since 92. Um, you, and you had a lot of interaction with George. What was your favorite George Steinbrenner moment? Um, I, you know, after you get to meet Mr. Steinbrenner and you hear all the stories, uh, I think he had softened up to the point. But I, from meeting one, which was in Tampa, out on the field during batting practice and spring training, you get the idea that there's one thing in mind, and, and that was winning and, and winning a world championship. And, and, and Mr. Steinbrenner had some ties to uh, football in Ohio and Ohio State, and I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, so that was kind of my foot in the door to start conversations, uh, Mr. Steinbrenner. But uh, I, I can't tell you how much respect I had for him because the time in the era that I played. He did everything he possibly could uh, to make this franchise as, as big and as good uh, and as competitive uh, that, it, that it was. And it's not easy to win and keep teams together, and he was able to do that. And now you look back on that run that we had in the late 90s, and uh, it would not have happened uh, without the players, obviously, but without the ownership um, keeping most of those players together and trying to win year after year. When you look back on this, it's funny because if somebody said to me, and I get a question, I get these questions a lot, would be, well, how would you describe Paul O'Neill? And I say, well, let's see. He was a champion. He was a warrior and he was a champion. Uh, you know, witnessed the, the, the titles. And, uh, you know, he wasn't the only player on those teams, but he was a very important part of those teams without question. So there's there's that. There's the entertainer which is uh, whether it was the Seinfeld appearances right? <laughs> or, or you like sometimes what you, what you bring to the booth now is you bring a mix of, of information and entertainment. You bring the experience of having played on that field and playing in, on championship teams, but you also bring that, that uh, sort of that, that Phil Rizzuto-esque, a lot of fun, you know, it's, uh, it's also entertainment part to it. And, and it's hard to, to it's hard to, 
to bring all those aspects. It's hard to be a, bring a championship pedigree and it's hard to bring real knowledge of the game and it's hard to bring the entertainment value sort of uh, all wrapped up in one personality that is the warrior. Well, now you're embarrassed. First of all, when I got called to this call, I thought, you know, here I, I felt like I was going to the principal's office. When you get called to the <laughs> Zoom call, <laughs> you better be on your best behavior. But you know what? I, I just, I enjoy stories. I enjoy the, the history of the game. Obviously, if you're in the, uh, a nail biter of a game, most of the time, the game kind of dictates what you talk about, and that's the interesting part of it. But, you know, baseball is, is a time on television or even on the bench that uh, it's a long time. So uh, conversation is needed. And sometimes, you know, maybe I'll take a left turn when I should have taken a right. Uh, but sometimes, uh, you know, I have to be reminded to, to, to stay on the road. But, um, you know, I, I think everybody's wired differently. Um, and, and I enjoy uh, getting into things other than the analytics and the percentages and numbers that go along with the game today. And, um, you know, anytime you bring up the past, you bring up good kind of like fuzzy moments of people's childhood and life. And uh, that's the way I grew up. Uh, I wasn't uh, somebody that just was – you know, lucky to, to, to play baseball. I grew up wanting to play baseball and being a true baseball fan and, and enjoying the history and the, the great people that played before you. So uh, I, I guess that comes out uh, when we do broadcasts. When, you know, when, when a game is tight, when the game is on the line, obviously our focus is on the game. But when a game is, baseball is interesting like that because there are times during a game where, you know, not every pitch is, you know, seminal to an outcome. You know, it could be a, f a five to one game. It could be a 10 to two game. It could be a 15 to three game. And there's where you sort of have a chance to really, you really do have to be bring entertainment value because the game on the field as it's being played at that moment is not of real significance. So you have to sort of find a way to keep people interested. And uh, what you guys were doing the other night, I found was most interesting. And uh, between you, Coney and Michael, it was a trip down memory lane. We did everything from talk about Laverne and Shirley to <laughs> talk about uh uh, uh, an autographed baseball that you had by Babe Ruth and and uh, and, uh, and Hank Aaron, which I found that part of it. I mean, it was all interesting to me, but that part of it, that story part of it, and how you brought that baseball out from uh, from your little archival connect uh, collection, I thought was 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 one of the highlights of that evening. So I, I enjoyed that story. If anybody may have missed that story, why don't you tell that story if you don't mind about the Babe Ruth and, and Hank Aaron and the baseball. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, um, I grew up in the Reds organization and Ted Klazuski uh, was my hitting coach. And, you know, he's a, a well-renowned, you know, power hitter from the old days of the Cincinnati Reds, worked all the way through the minor leagues with me. And uh, I knew his wife by playing tennis in the offseason. So Eleanor was a sweetheart of a woman. And, uh, you know, years after Ted had passed away, Eleanor had gone through and, and basically cleaned out his collection, kind of like I'm cleaning out my collection there during these basement broadcasts. And she brought me a little brown paper bag with a ball in it one day at the tennis court and said, I, I know Ted would want you to have this. And I thought, you know, I'm going to pull this out and it's going to be a ball maybe with Ted Klazuski's autograph on it, which would have been pretty cool in itself. But when I pulled it out and I saw Best Wishes Hank Aaron which Clue had had signed by himself because, you know, he played in that era. Also, 
I turned it around and I saw Babe Ruth's signature and I, I, I literally almost like buckled. I'm saying, Eleanor, I can't take this. And she said, I know that he'd want you to have it. And that's how the story went. And, uh, you know, I'm not embellishing it at all. That's really what happened. And it's, uh, it was a cool thing for them to do. Switching gears a little bit, Paul, I want to talk about uh, this year's Yankees team. And there's a lot of, a ton of great storylines. Um, one of them is next man up again. And I want to know from you as a player, what's your mindset when teammates like Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu go down? I know as a fan, it's like, oh, no. But I get the impression that the players, they're not scared by it. Well, I think that has a lot to do with uh, one of the strengths of Aaron Boone because, uh, you know, as a manager, when you start getting riddled with injuries, you still have to make this team believe that uh, it's expected to win. And I think he's always been good at that. Um, Believe me, when I'm doing a broadcast now uh, and Aaron Judge is not in the lineup and DJ LeMayhew not in the lineup, it's even disappointing to me because I, I love to watch these guys play. But, uh, you know, this day and age with injuries and especially this year with uh, other things that can happen to where you lose players, uh, there's going to be times where guys need to fill in. And uh, the Yankees' depth, uh, the organization's done an unbelievable job at keeping youth guys that seem to be ready uh, to play at this level where as soon as somebody goes down, somebody gets an opportunity. And that opportunity for the most part has been something these kids have just run with. And uh, uh, it's fun to see because, you know, as a player, you put yourself back in that position when you first got that opportunity and how hard it is to succeed immediately where, you know, when you're kind of on a short string because as soon as Aaron Judge is ready, Aaron Judge is going to be back. But, you know, and not every story is Wally Pipp and Lou Gehrig. You know, you don't lose jobs. So, uh, but you do have an opportunity to show that you are ready to play at this level. And uh, this organization, I don't know what they do in the minor leagues, but when these kids come up, uh, it seems like they're ready to play. You make a great point. So everybody's talking about Clint Frazier, and rightfully so. He's crushing the ball. But Aaron Judge is going to come back, and John Carlos Stanton's going to come back. What does Clint Frazier have to do to stay on the team? Well, I think as a player, uh, you can't get ahead of yourself. I mean, you can't think, you know, he's back in a week or two weeks. What do I do then? Uh, because at that point, you, you've given away those two weeks that you had to perform. And, you know, he was amazing. Uh, home run first at bat. And uh, i tell you one thing. He, he said everything right. He, he didn't blast the organization. Uh, Aaron Boone said, this kid's ready to play. I just don't have a bats for him. And that is very tough for a kid that age that is ready to play to go down and not have the opportunity to play at the major league level. So it, it's good that, uh, you know, he has waited and uh, he's been given a chance now. And uh, hopefully he continues to run with it. And with the DH now and, uh, you know, the, the depth charts that you need in baseball to get through all these double headers in the short season. If he continues to hit, you're going to see that bat in the lineup. That's one of the strengths of the Yankees is their incredible depth, their incredible scouting, the incredible job that, that stick uh, that Brian Cashman and his, uh, his uh, uh, staff have done in, in putting this team together is, you know, you look and say, you know, you lose an Aaron judge, you lose a Stanton, but you know, there you, you know you've got Gardner and you've got Hicks and you've got you know Talkman and you've got Clint Frazier 
and you know you you look at the the depth of uh, the, the the Fords and and the the Anduhars and you know there aren't very many teams or no teams that I can think of in baseball that have you know have that kind of depth and as a matter of fact even middle of the order players that have seen so few at bats whether they be a Frazier or whether they be Ford or, or Anduhar you put those three players on another team and that gives any team a potent middle of the order that the Yankees are using in reserve. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you do have to credit the organization because, um, you know, every organization at the minor league level has an opportunity to grow up the young talent. And the Yankees have always kind of had the uh, the stigma almost as uh, everything they need, they'll just go out and buy. But if you look at even through the championship years, the core four, Jeter, Pettit, Mariano, Posada, these guys were – drafted and brought up in the organization of the Yankees. And now you're, you're seeing the same thing with some of these young kids were brought over from trades, but they were brought up through the Yankee organization to the point where, uh, you know, winning is much more important than, than anything else. And uh, it makes it fun to play baseball when you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, are we going to have enough to win? Are, are, are we, you know, these things uh, take care of themselves. When you play a game and winning is more important, whether you go 0 for 4, that's when it's fun to play baseball because your mind is on one thing. And you can tell from pitch one this year that the New York Yankees uh, were in a mode of, of uh, you know, worrying about winning the World Series, not what type of year they were going to have uh, individually. We, we talked a little earlier about uh, some of your career milestones and some of the great moments, more interesting moments of your career. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about three perfect games. Yeah, well. Browning, Conan, and Wells. That's kind of uh, the luck of the draw. I mean, if you're playing on bad teams, you don't play in perfect games. I mean, when you're playing on championship teams that are built around pitching, you have opportunities for these. Uh, and, you know, David Cohn's, uh, I still remember that day. It was a day game. I had friends in from uh, Cincinnati. It just so happens Coney throws a perfect game. All of our friends have a great time. We jump in a car. We go over and see Springsteen over in Jersey, a concert that night. That's a pretty good day. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, you remember David Wells. It's that day's going on. I got to catch the last out there. It was an easy fly ball. Great day. And Tom Browning here in Cincinnati was a weird time because we didn't even know if we were going to play that night. That game ended up starting at like 9.20 or 9.30. But again, uh, those things come about by uh, being fortunate and playing on good teams. Do you ever think you and Coney would be in the booth together? <laughs> I, do. I, don't know big enough. I don't know if a booth was big enough for uh, us to, to, to get our stories out, but uh, I have enjoyed uh, even today um, – when I listen to him talk about pitching, even being in the game as long as I have, you're still learning things because pitchers and hitters are, are different. Uh, not everybody hangs out together on teams. You've got pitchers, you've got everyday players. And uh, I think he enjoys my perspective on hitting. And I know I love to, to listen to him break down, uh, you know, kind of the science of pitching because it's more than just grabbing that ball, pitching up a signal and heaving it in there and hoping for the best. I mean, there is an art to it. And uh, David Cohn uh, in his generation was one of the best. Last one from me, Paul. I know you have a game tonight that you got to get to. But as somebody who obviously knows his way around a weight room, how impressive is Aroldis Chapman's physique right now? 
I tell you what, when he came in last night, I had to tap my screen to make sure it wasn't something wrong with it because he looked like, you know, a tight end running in. But, uh, you know, he had uh, kind of put out some Instagrams about his workout habits and, you know, how much the game of baseball has changed, uh, you know, in the past 20 years where you were basically weren't allowed to lift weights, where now it's all built around power, strength, and speed, uh, just pretty much like every other sport. Uh, does it attribute to the injuries? It might, I don't know, because you put your, you know, the human body pretty much to the point where how hard can you throw? How far can you hit a ball? It, it's just, uh, it's amazing to me uh, when you see him, uh, like he did last night, running in, that this is a pitcher, really? And uh, pretty, pretty cool to see. One final one for me, Paul. If you could have played in any game in the history of baseball, you got a broad canvas here, okay? You got to think this one through now. The history of baseball, you could have played in one game uh, that you obviously didn't play in. What game would that be and why? Uh, it would probably be back in the 20s, just because of all the lore and all the stories uh, of the polo grounds and moving to Yankee Stadium because of Babe Ruth. It would have to be a game that Babe Ruth played in and one of those championship teams. And then that question that I get all the time, Flip, about was 1998 better than the 20, what, the 27 Yankees? What was a great team at the Yankees? 27. I'd be able to give you the, the true answer. After I listened to them and I watched them play, then I could give you the true answer, 27 or 98. Well, there's no doubt that uh, you were an integral part of all the Yankee, the Yankee championships list, uh, several of them. And, uh, you know, it's um, it's a pleasure to work with you, and I very much enjoy you being part of Yes, and uh, and uh, I dare say that Yes wouldn't be Yes if it, you were not part of it. So thank you for all that, and, uh, and uh, we thank you for your time today. Guys, you have a good night, and uh, I'll see you on the air tonight. Tune in, will you, Flip? Uh, I'll, I'll be around. I'm lurking. <laughs> I'm always lurking someplace. I'm lurking. All right. Thanks, Paulie. Take care. Flip, a couple weeks ago, we had Michael Kay on this show, and he said, quote, personality doesn't take a day off. And when I listened to Paul O'Neill in that interview we just had, he just oozes personality, which is great. But on top of that, he has the pedigree of a champion, which just makes him great to be around, I think. It's quite an interesting combination uh, uh, when you think about having the, the experience and having the, you know, the, the championship pedigree, uh, being called the warrior for all the intensity that he brought to uh, the field and how he just found out a way to, to win or help the team win. Um, that mentality, that, that mindset is why he was the warrior. And, you know, and also the fact that he, he's, he's such an entertainer, which, uh, you know, as we, we, we like to refer to him, I mean, he's kind of the Phil Rizzuto of his day, if you will. And that's, you know, Phil Rizzuto was, you know, was one of the great entertainers in the history of, of baseball. He also knew his baseball, but he was, he was Rizzuto. He was his own wacky sort of self, his own scooter-ish. I wouldn't say Paul is wacky. I would just say Paul is very much, uh, has that scooter, that uh, sense of, of, of entertainment and uh and, and and brings it so i mean when and going back all those years ago now i i really i didn't know how much you know how much entertainment value we would get from paul because paul was always very so serious and 
you know, that was the guy who was taking the bat to the water cooler and always, you know, went, uh, and was so intense and was arguing with the umpires about pitches he didn't think were, you know, strikes and that the, that one is, didn't go his way. And, and uh, you know, so there was, there was a mindset out there uh, uh, as it pertained to Paul. And I think, obviously, what these 19 years in, in the booth have shown is that uh, he is a very different sort of person when he was away from the field. And also, I think that intensity that he channeled I think that had a lot to do with the fact that he was, um, he just, he just demanded so much of himself. He wasn't frustrated and take, it wasn't about anybody else. It was, it was directed at himself because he expected perfection out of himself, which as we all know is impossible to attain. So, but anyway, he's, he's quite the, the mixture of entertainment and, and, and information and he's just fun. You mentioned having to go to George Steinbrenner and recommend Paul O'Neill based off of everything you just said on how he's a warrior He's a gamer. He's hitting water coolers. He didn't smile a lot on the field. Why were you confident that this was a good choice? Um, well, I, you know, I wasn't all that confident that. that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I had a I had a hunch that it could work. I wanted I when we were starting the network, you must remember that you know we had a blank canvas. So, well, who do we want for play by play? Who do we want in this role? Who do we want in that role? And I mean, the players, I wanted David Cohn, who was was actually a layup because, you know, Coney was always very, you know, very uh, out there with the press. Coney's personality was always light and joking and he could air, but yet he was as, t- as, as intense a competitor as I've ever met. Oh, l- l- let me interrupt. First of all, David Cohn can be successful at anything, I think. Yes, a player. Yes, a broadcaster. Probably a pitching coach. Maybe a manager. You know, he, he was going to be good at whatever. No doubt. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, that see that David was never, never once uh, a question mark. I mean, we knew that he could. He, we knew he had the pedigree as a player. We knew he was a great competitor. We knew he knew the game. We knew that he. We also knew that he was funny and could do literally do stand up. If if you put a mic in his hand, let him do stand up. He do stand up. I mean, David brought all this, so he was sort of a natural to become a broadcaster. You know what Paul brought was the was the was the pedigree of a champion. And great competitiveness, and he, he had that part of it going. But I, you know, the, the sort of the personality side, very there was very few people had seen another side to him. I saw a little of it. I could see him sometimes joke away from it all, and I could see he had a personality. But I had no idea it would be the extent of who he is now, and the, the personality that he's become, and how beloved he is in the booth. Not only his ability to to you know talk about the game and talk about it in such a such an intelligent fashion, but also the the fact that he's got such a fun personality, and he's you know he's, he brings you both information and entertainment, and, and in a very discerning way. You know, one of the things Paul said, Flip, um, and I know the answer, so I didn't ask him. Is he mentioned the, the last catch in the David Wells perfect game. And he's a gamer. He's an athlete. Of course he wants the ball hit to him. But if it's me. <laughs> two it's hands. Two, <laughs> is it two hands you're going to say? Well, one, two hands. And two, yeah. I don't want the ball hit to me in the ninth inning of a perfect game. You know, I've actually asked him that. I mean, I not 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 in, the, in our just concluded interview, but I have on other occasions asked him. I asked him, I asked him more about catching the ball with one hand. And he said, uh, I said, suppose you had dropped it. He goes, I wasn't going to drop it. I said, but suppose you had. He goes, well, there's no suppose I wasn't going to drop it. So I said, you were that sure of yourself that I said, could you imagine if you had? He goes, no, I can't. And I would not have. So you know what? After uh, that was going down a road and I said, okay, 
Uh, you have to take a guy at his word if that's what he says. Uh, that's fine. And, and obviously he did catch it. So the point is mood, I suppose, right? And, you know, and also the fact that uh, you could be you, – you're in a position where you say, uh, don't hit the ball to me. You know what? Uh, every you know what's the expression about the big leagues? It's uh, you know if, it, if someone can't play a position well or do something, you know the ball is just going to find you, right? It's just going to find you. That's just the way the the game seems to be and how it evolves. But uh, I would think in this case, uh, I don't think knowing Paul the way we know Paul, and I, I certainly know him for a very long time now. Uh, not only for the booth, but I knew him from when I was a producer of the field and he was playing back in his playing days. Uh, he certainly is the kind of guy that says, "Hit it to me, don't worry, I'll take care of it." That's why he's the warrior. That's why he was the warrior, and he's still a warrior. I was just going to say that. That's why he's the warrior. That's, That's right, and we're not. You and I are not, but he is. No. Uh, so George came up with that, the warrior? Yes, that was George's nickname for him. George called him the warrior. And uh, and everybody, every, if you know, if you spent 10 minutes around Paul back in the day, you understood why. I mean, he's total yeah. warrior. I mean, that play, we didn't really, you know, delve into it much. And, you know, I probably could have done a better job setting that up, but the – the play at second base uh, in the division series against the Indians in 97, Yankees needed, desperately needed to get a runner in scoring position to have a chance to tie it up the down by a run. And he just, he just goes, he got what, you know, it was a single, maybe a single and a half. It was debatable if you go for a double or not, but he knew he had to get to second. So he did everything he could and he, you know, and he came barrel steamrolling in the second and he, you know, he sort of lost his footing near the bag and he stumbles and he got in and he had to go back and then reach back and touch it bag with his hand. And, and he got there, you know, but it, it showed me what he was all about. If you had any doubt that that hustle right out of that box, that giving leaving everything on the field to get to second base, that's what Paul was about. That the Louis Polonia catch with the game on the line, reaching with a bad hamstring, by the way, reaching and catching that ball up at the last second, the way he did lunging if the ball catching it, you know, uh, which was one of the great catches in World Series. It could save a, the one nothing game and, uh, and and put the Yankees up 3-2 after being down 0-2 and winning the next three in Atlanta and coming back and then winning at the stadium. But but that catch was so pivotal in that series. And, uh, I mean, again, clutch on the line. I mean, uh, so many of his plays, you know, through through you know uh, his his contribution to Yankee history, clutch on the line, clutch on the line, clutch on the line. That's all he ever was. He was he was intense. He was clutch, and he got it done. No more can you say. And then, of course, you have the time he uh, mistaken a baseball for a soccer ball. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> he kicks the ball. He gets so frustrated. He could, and he winds up kicking the ball. A perfect kick, by the way. Perfect. I mean, a so that's the best part. That is the best part. I mean, perfect, perfect kick to him. I mean, he should have considered that to be instead of throwing. He should have just considered giving it up and just kicking it in. But, uh, uh, but that's it. It's, it's a famous play. It's one, of, it's one of the funnier, more interesting plays in baseball history. But that's Paul to the T, you know. But listen, but Paul was, you know, again was an accomplished player in Cincinnati. The Yankees had a very good player in Roberto Kelly. But, uh, you know, Stick Michael said, you know, saw something that said the piece we're missing is we need Paul O'Neill's intensity. Something about we need that intensity here that if he could channel that here and play it here, uh, it's going to make a big difference to us in, in our ambitions to become champions. And he was one of the first pieces added to, to transform the Yankees into the, what became dynasty team. So he was very important to them. Speaking of intensity, you and I are in the middle of an intense bet, one of which a week later I'm still winning. I want my Chipotle. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, you're nuts. The Orioles? The Orioles. They are still in the postseason as of today. That's They're right. going to be. 
As of today, yes. As of today. <laughs> but when it's all said and done, I okay. will have double chicken on my Chipotle. You got it. You got it. Listen, I, if I have to eat crow, crow with the chicken, get it? If I have to eat crow, <laughs> I will I will, I will, will eat crow if I have to. But uh, I am really not as sold on this idea as you are. But that's okay. That's what bets are about. So let's see where it goes. And right now, yes, you're, you're, you're holding up nicely. Well, Flip, only time will tell whether or not I'll be uh, the victor of this bet, but I have a feeling I'm going to be eating plenty of Chipotle coming up. Wow, plenty. Plenty. Might as well stock up when you can. So, you know, if the bet were over now, yes, you'd be stocking up, but we'll see. That's a good thing about the baseball season, especially now we got 60 games, stops for a season right now. So, um, you know, every game matters a lot. It matters almost what every win is worth almost three. So terms if you look at it like that because it's 60 as opposed to 162 um so yeah i mean every every matters but you know you could you could be you could float up you could be on the edge of extinction here and then find your way back you have a really good week where you know you win you know you win six seven games in a week and you find yourself uh, you know right back into things or you find yourself out of things you know a number of teams as we speak now have not playing, not playing well lately, and found themselves really on the edge of Red Sox. Don't, for instance, or the Yankees swept them as we as we record this, and and uh, you know they went from sort of you know having a shot to like not that they don't, but I mean let's just say that they're they didn't help themselves by being swept. You know that certainly put them, especially against the team in first place. So that really that really really hurts them. Those those are two game swings at least, right? Not at least they are two game swings. The game you you know the game you don't win. The game you lose, right? So there you go. So there's two game swings. So that puts them in a in a, in a very sort of a position that I would not envy. But and there are other teams like facing that too. But but on the other hand, there's a lot of great stories in the game right now. There's a number of teams playing. Well, Yankees are playing really well, as we said. But you know the the A's have been on fire. The Twins are playing you know, playing well. Um, there are you know there are other stories in the game that are, I find fascinating. You know Tatis in in, in San Diego has just been. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's real talk quick, about real quick, real quick, real quick. Because uh, social media is blowing up right now over uh, Tatis hitting a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch in the eighth inning when they were up big. Yeah, was I'm okay with it. Bunt, we're supposed to do <laughs> take three pitches and sit down. I mean, it's his job to it's his job to play. I mean, it's his job to. Play. I mean, you know how many games I've watched or all of us have watched to follow the game, and I'm dare say, if you're listening to this podcast, have seen quite a few baseball games. I would think. And it's like you haven't seen teams that were up six, seven, eight, nine, ten runs and then wound up losing the game. It happens happens more times than you think. So you know, no game is out of reach. You got it's your job to perform. It's your job to you know his job isn't to strike out to make everybody feel good. That's kind of a ridiculous assertion. Right, and I'm trying to look up as you're talking Johnny Bench's tweet because he's the one who said it even best. Um, so this is coming from Johnny Bench, someone who you would think would be unwritten rules are the Bible. But no, he says, and I like this. So you take a pitch. Now you're down 3-1. Then the pitcher comes back with a great setup pitch. Now you're down 3-2. Now it's 3-2. And then you ground out into a double play. Tatis is looking for his one, his payday, two, his stats. The team's got to win. No, you don't take a pitch there. If you, if you could drive it, drive it. I would disagree with you in only one sense. It, it, his payday, and I mean, yeah, I get all that, but you know what? His job is to make sure they win. His job is to maximize those at bats. His job is to come through and give them whatever the score is. It's to add on to the score. I mean, I, I guess, I guess, if I'm get to the ninth inning and I'm ahead, you know, 
17 nothing or 18 one or then you say okay i take my foot off the pedal i, I mean i get it at a certain point you could but you know what oh you know you, you just you know when you've got no i'm sorry i, I i'm not built like that I, I, you you, you got to win yeah you have to that's his job his job is to go out there and perform you know it's the same way that the players that are put in the game i saw a situation recently that i didn't like i saw a, a pitcher on a team uh, being brought in as a mop-up in a mop-up situation and the team was getting waxed and they wanted to save their pen and they brought in a position player to pitch and uh, he came in to pitch and he got an out or, or and he you know had the ball um he took the ball and he rolled in the dugout and i'm sitting there going like he's saving this as a souvenir i mean his team is getting it's it's we're in handed to him and he's taking the ball uh, you don't play like that. I'm sorry. That's in that. That to me is disrespecting the game. It's disrespecting the game. So I mean, I don't think you should. I don't think the game should always be respected. You could say, well, my team is up big. So what does that? What does that mean? I'm supposed to strike out? Does that mean I'm not supposed to come through? Does that mean I can't play? I'm not supposed to win. I'm, I can't play hard to win. I mean, you're taking the bat out of my hands because it's supposed to. I mean, suppose the, the the opposing team rallies and. They lose, and they can go back and say, "What you had the baseline? You just that you didn't, and you, and you just figured I was to be nice. I gave you an out, right? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I'm sorry. The backlash would be even you worse. We just had Paul O'Neill on. Ask Paul O'Neill what he would have done. Yeah, I don't Ask even him have how he to. He would have played the game. Don't even have to. You know, I know so, the answer. Yeah, I know the answer too. You play to win. You know, and and if anybody thinks that. Uh, you know the the integrity. Of the, it's it's also the integrity of the game matters. The integrity of the contest. Look, some I've seen I've seen great teams get destroyed in baseball games. We all have. I've seen I've seen you know the 1960 Pittsburgh Pirates got got the Yankees destroyed them. I'm talking about in terms of runs scored. They outscored them better than three to one in that World Series. So when the Yankees would win games, they win you know twelve nothing. You know ten uh, two. You know when the Pirates would win, they'd win two to one. Three, 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 nothing, et cetera. So the aggregate score, the Yankees won by 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 the three to one margin, but the the, the uh, Pirates wound up winning the World Series. That was the one time Mickey Mantle cried. He said, because they were a much better team, and, and yeah. they, they were. I mean, if they play that World Series five more times, ten more times, the Yankees would. <laughs> the Yankees play ten more times. The Yankees probably win ten of them. I mean, so. It's a crazy game like that, but you just you just can't take wins for granted. You have to play hard, particularly in a season like this. If the, you, you just can't, you just sorry, you have to play hard. You have to play hard. You have to rate, review, subscribe. Um, what else? And then do we play have to hard. Do? First, rate, review, play subscribe. Then play hard. Is that what you're telling me? Okay. <laughs> I was going to say we need to rate, review, subscribe, then probably land the plane. What do you think? In the words of Ashley Fagasi, it's time to land the plane. We will see you. Well, thank you for joining us. Rate, review, subscribe. We love you. We'll see you soon. Thank you.